G'day. I'm Robert. Nice to be here. Well, it's lovely to be here. And it's lovely to be here with the church community. But it's lovely to be here in Pentecost. Because Pentecost is actually my favourite season of the year. A lot of people think, oh, Easter and Easter eggs are pretty good. Well, they are. And hot cross buns, which you can still get in Coles, by the way. <laughs> but Christmas is great for the presents. But when I think of the present, the present and the presence of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, uh, that just blows me away. So uh, it's great to be here and preach on this day, and as Lachlan said, on this uh, Trinity Sunday, when we think about the dance of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit uh, together, uh, and the power that comes from three in one and one in three. As Alyssa mentioned, uh, it's myself and my wife, Thea. We live in Berry on the south coast, uh, beautiful Berry, uh, but we come up and stay with our daughter uh, and uh, so we'll be coming and going. But I'm always available anyway. So there are business cards in the foyer there with email and mobile phone. Uh, and you could talk to the leaders here because they have my contact details. But I'm going to try and be around and try and get to see everyone or as many people as I can and um, share with you uh, during that time. So it's about praying, it's about reflecting, it's about chatting, it's about challenging and being challenged in what we do as, what we, as we wrestle, wrestle and be reinforced by God's mission with new beginnings uniting. Now, Lachlan started us off last week. I watched that online from uh, Barry, Comfortable Barry in the lounge room. That was fantastic. Uh, started us with a series called Unstoppable. And it takes us on a journey, a journey through the Acts of the Apostles or uh, the Book of Acts, as many people know it, from Pentecost, celebrated last Sunday, through the development of the early church and the rising of the Apostle Paul. So in this sermon and next week's, I'm going to take it's this today is parts one of two. Uh, the working title is The Pressure of Pain. The Pressure of Pain. And when I saw that title, I had to really think that through. But as I again went through the scriptures, particularly through the book of Acts, I realized that, yes, there is pain and there is indeed pleasure in what we read. And many of us know a bit of pain in our lives, don't we? Yes. So we're going to talk about that and maybe talk a little bit about how we uh, cope when those painful times come about and what the pain actually means in our lives. So last week, the focus was on Acts 1 and 2, and that's probably my favourite part of Acts. I just love that. The coming of the Holy Spirit, all these amazing things kicking off. Three to six is where we're going to go, chapters three through to six. So can I say to you that it would be great if you could have a read through those because there is so much to take in and I'll be chip chopping and changing a little bit all over the place and referring to various passages through chapters three to six. 
So what we have then is uh, the gospel, the good news being spread. And it's interesting in chapters 3 to 6, what happens is it's almost as if the light has been flicked on for the disciples. And there's this wonderful transformation, or dare I say from our last song, a resurrection that occurs, but occurs in the disciples themselves. It's a, wait for it, new beginning. I've heard that term before. But it's a new beginning for individuals and it's a new beginning for the church as well. There's, if, if you like, there's a transformation that occurs on the inside, but there's a transformation that can't stay contained on the inside. It has to spread its love, its purpose, its mission to the world beyond. You know, there's a lot to be learned in the current situation for each of these disciples and apostles and for our faith community here in Cronulla as well and in the other books, the other chapters of the books, uh, Book of Apostles, the Acts of Apostles. In essence, what we see here and in the later chapters is this. Now think of this image because I will be repeating this a little bit. Think of Christmas time. What happens at Christmas time often is that gifts are given. If you think of the gift of the Spirit as a gift that is given from above, not necessarily earned, all right, gifts are often not earned, they come through the grace and the love of the giver, but the gift is given. But importantly, what we see in the early chapters of Acts is the gift has been received. Now, some people might say, yeah, I'll open that one later and put it to the side because this one with an Xbox is much more interesting than that book that I know it is. So it's given, it's received, it's opened. And most importantly, it's used. And you might even say, uh, as if you watch young kids at Christmas time, and we often have get-togethers at Christmas that involve lots and lots of kids and there's gifts everywhere and so forth. But it's just wonderful when someone, when one cousin shows another cousin, this is what I got. Would you like to also play? Would you like to be, would you like to share with me? And that's very much the story that we read here. It is the opening of the gifts, the receiving, being transformed by the gifts, but sharing them with the world that doesn't yet know Jesus Christ. So as I said, we're going to delve in chapters 3 to 6 over these, over these weeks. We're going to examine a little bit about pain in there because there is pain in these chapters. I mean, there's growth, there's wonderful things that happen, but in between times there's some stumbling blocks that happen. So we're going to look at pain and its place there and here and how we might deal with pain. Now, you're probably aware at the start of chapter 3 or right from the start of chapter 1, prayer is the main thing. Prayer opens this, prayer closes this chapter. It's there throughout. It's interfused. It's not three times a day as the Jewish Pharisees used to do, morning, afternoon and evening. It's praying without ceasing. It happens any time that people feel led. So let's start off with some prayer. And I'm going to... 
I've asked her uh, about the song Refiner's Fire, which I love, particularly at this time of year, and has some beautiful words which I think form the most beautiful prayer. So I'm just going to read some of those words. Let's close our eyes and let's meditate on these words as we pray. Holy Spirit, come like a rushing wind, clothe us with power from on high. Now set the captives free. Leave us abandoned to your praise. Lord, let your glory fall. Lord, let your glory fall. Consuming fire, fan into flame a passion for your name. Spirit of God, fall in this place. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way with us. Amen. Well, we're going to take uh, chapter 3, 1 to 16 as our, as our main part, but work from there. Now, I'm going to ask you to be involved if you are brave enough, if anyone is brave enough here. Sorry for those people on screen. You'll have to be there unless you can make it up to the pulpit here in the next 10 seconds. Would anyone like to come and read those verses for us, which I have right here? Now, don't crowd me. Would anyone like to come and read? They're not, there's not too many hard words. There's not too many old Jewish names that are mentioned in those, in those words. Anyone like to come up? Yeah, thank you. Elaine Beggar. Can you hear me? One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly... The man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as being the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had actually happened to him. Peter speaks to the onlookers. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness 
we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and the righteous one and you asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You were witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and known was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. That's how tech-savvy I am. It's on backwards, sorry. Anyway, you know, I want to say something about pain. might seem a little bit obvious. Pain is painful. When you think of the word pain, you might think of words such as loss or grief. And there's loss and grief when there's change as well. And in these chapters, they're closely linked with words and events such as persecution and uh, flogging and jailing and beating, ridicule, slander, threats, stoning, the stoning of Stephen after chapter 6, and of course, death. However, I want you to think about this for a moment. The opposite of pain is not the absence of pain. The opposite of pain is not the absence of pain. The opposite of pain is pleasure or fulfilment or delight or even rapture, if you want to use a Pentecostal term, rapture. You know, perhaps in this life we can't really understand pain unless we know pleasure and vice versa. You can't have one without the other, so the old song goes. And if you think about that, the very author of life, Jesus Christ, suffered death so we might live. Think of this passage from John 12, verses 24, where Jesus says, A seed falls to the ground and dies in order to produce many seeds. You know, painful endings can often lead to exciting new beginnings. So let's examine some of the pleasure and some of the pain in these chapters, but particularly around chapter 3. So can we show the slides on the screen at the moment, please, if possible? While that's, uh, they're working on that, the first thing that strikes me in this chapter and across those 
chapters 3, 4, 5 and 6 is that there are no half measures. Everyone is full on. (laughs) They're full on with their hate of the disciples or they're full on with their love for the Lord. There's nothing in between. And that be through healing, reacting to healing, proclaiming the good news. We see all of this full-on activity. And the crippled man, what does he do? We could, in, in the absence of, oh, we have got the slides. Sorry, I'm looking here. <laughs> we have got the slides. He goes walking and leaping and praising God. Remember the song? I remember it from Methodist Sunday School all those years ago. Yeah, full on. It is, it's a full on experience, you know. If you think about the disciples, then what did they do? They shared everything they had. They shared everything they had except for two characters, and I'll leave you to do that reading, who didn't. And we saw some consequences there that weren't terribly nice for Ananias and Sapphira. So the disciples shared, and they shared all. Barnabas is also mentioned in these chapters, and we'll talk a little bit more about Barnabas next week. But he was full on in his encouragement and full on for another outsider by the name of Saul, who became Paul, Paul the Apostle. And you wonder, without a Barnabas there, what may have happened with Saul? Barnabas, you may know, was from Cyprus. And when he and Paul went on the first missionary journey, where did they go to first? Cyprus. Indeed. If pain involves confinement, if it involves imprisonment, and that's just not a physical imprisonment, there's all sorts of ways people can be imprisoned. What we see through these chapters is the opposite. We see phrases of release. We see words of action, the book of Acts. People speaking boldly, raising hands and voices, grace being upon them. And, of course, if you're into the Greek, you know, Often these terms are full-on terms, grace being upon them like being slugged with grace. Having power to testify as well as walking and leaping and praising God. And the other thing about that's pleasurable in these chapters is that the community comes together. Fellowship is really, really important. Fellowship here, fellowship when we have a cup of tea, and I've seen some lovely sandwiches too, so we're getting stuck into those a little bit later. So for you online, the sandwiches are tremendous today. I'm not sure if that's regular fare or it's just because there's a new minister. (laughs) I don't know. But fellowship is important. Now, I don't know if any of you or some of you will know, I'm sure, uh, an author, we'll say theologian, by the name of Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey's been around for many, many years now. This is one of his early books. It's called Reaching for the Invisible God. Okay, Reaching for the Invisible God and subtitle, What Will We Expect to Find? (laughs) 
<laughs> really interesting book. There's the most wonderful image in there about community. And I want you to think about this. Let's think for a moment about a wagon wheel, okay? We all know what wagon wheels are, aren't we? Not the chocolate-coated biscuit treat. I mean real wagon wheels, yeah? Right, there's a steel rim on the outside, usually a, a, a timber inner circle, then spokes that end up in a hub that sits right in the centre. And Philip Yancey talks about fellowship, and it's the fellowship we see in these early chapters of Acts. He says this, What would the world be like if life was a circle akin to this uh, wagon wheel, where God, of course, is in the centre, the hub, if you like. The hub, I like that, God the hub. Where do we start our life journey? We start on the outside, okay? We are connected to each other, right? The circle is complete. We're connected to each other, but we're working towards God all the way. So God's in the centre, so we're travelling along the spokes. But as we travel along the spokes, what happens? The other people on the spokes come closer to us because we've got the big outer circle, the small inner circle. So as you come closer, necessarily, he says, you have to come closer to each other. Faith is a journey of togetherness. Faith is not something we do on our own or on a mountaintop. And as we come closer to each other on our journey towards God at the centre, we see that our fellow travellers all need God's love and God's mercy as much as we do. So our natural reaction like that of the early disciples is to reach out to them also in love and in action. I love that analogy. Thirdly, what do we learn here and in the chapters 4, 5 and 6? Well, we learn that there's conflict. Conflict in our lives, unfortunately, is inevitable. The Gospel writers quoted Jesus uh, often about this point. You, if you look at John 15, verses 18 to 20, Jesus himself says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, you would love, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Luke, also supposedly the author of the book of Acts in Luke 6, 22 says this, Blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you. And they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. You know, often conflict arises in jealousy. We talked about the, the gift at Christmas being unwrapped, okay? 
gosh, I didn't get an Xbox, but he got the Xbox. I might take that from them. Jealousy is often born of something someone has that someone else does not have. And it's obvious that the, the Spirit is moving amongst the disciples in such a way that the leaders of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, are saying, well, we haven't got this, so they shouldn't have that. And there's that jealousy that's involved there. So coming on from that, fourthly, what we learn is that sticking your head above the parapet can often be a dangerous thing. It's risky business. Think of the prophets in the Old Testament. Well, let's, well, let's think of John the Baptist for a start. You know, the first prophet of the New Testament, what happened to John? Well, he lost his head. But you think of Jeremiah, you think of Moses, you think of Elijah, you think of Isaiah. And, of course, you think of the greatest prophet of all, Jesus Christ, and what happened to them. Being a prophet is risky business, but churches need prophets. What does a prophet do? A prophet stands on a boundary wall, on the outside, if you like. The, if we're using the analogy again of the wagon wheel, they're standing on the rim but they're standing on it with the ability to look in at what's happening to gain a big picture but also to look outside at the other possibilities that exist beyond that's a prophet's job not always popular as we know but every church needs its prophets who can look beyond the confines and stick their neck out or put their head above the parapet or any other analogy that you want to use, but it's dangerous stuff as we know. But sometimes that's the very nature of Christianity itself. And the disciples, of course, do the calling out in these early chapters. Peter's up there all the time telling people off. And I love the fact that he tells everyone off. You know, he says, now don't blame Pilate. Right, there's a chapter there. Don't blame Pilate for the problems, okay? He says, it's about you and you in the Greek is not you singular, it's you everyone, everyone. And he uses the term uh, laon, a Greek word, which means laity. And again, it's about other people, it's about the people, the whole people, if you like, not specific individuals. So finally, we see strength and growth in this chapter and chapters beyond. Growth through, now wait for this, collaborative leadership. Collaborative leadership. The thing that I really noted reading this time, and I thought I knew these passages inside out, but no, God opens up something new every time. I love that. Don't you love that? I do. Peter and John are almost inseparable. They're always walking together. If you think about Luke, back in Luke's Gospel, John, uh, Luke 10, Jesus, when he sent out the disciples, he sent them out in twos, never alone. I love that. You know, because that sometimes leads to better accountability, doesn't it? 
It means, hey, listen, Robert, I didn't like what you said there, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to tell you, this would be my wife speaking now. <laughs> Collaborative leadership. Gosh. <laughs> but it also means there's a plan of succession as well. And plans of succession in churches are extraordinarily important. Okay? Um, the fact that John was probably the last disciple to die around 100 AD means that he outlived Peter probably by 50-odd years, you know. So we needed that John to take the next step. And I want to – this might seem a little bit radical, but I'm going to go there anyway because a sermon is not merely for me to preach to you. It's, it's also to have a talk and to have a think. Jesus – now wait for this – Jesus needed Peter. Without Peter, what would have happened? Peter needed John. Without John, what would have happened to Peter? Just something to think about. I know we're talking about the Son of God who can do anything at any time through anyone, but what we see is this collaborative leadership occurring throughout these chapters, which I think is very important and perhaps shouldn't downplay it. I know we think of Peter and we think of Paul. How often do we think of John? But John was a critical piece of the puzzle. We're going to watch a very, very short video in a second from what are called TED Talks. Now, if you know anything about TED Talks, I've been doing these for years. They're, they're short, often 30-minute talks. This We're going to see about a minute and a half of one of those, uh, of people from all different backgrounds. And this one, Thea and I found, is about collaborative leadership. And it's a message straight out of Acts. Oh, straight. Gosh, I'm sounding like <laughs> straight out of Acts. Sorry. That's a, as an ex-English teacher, I hate the way people slur words. Anyway, it's straight out of Acts, but it's straight in there for what the church needs to be. So we're going to, all being well, fingers crossed, we're going to watch that now. If you've learned a lot about leadership and making a movement, then let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons. First, of course, a leader needs the guts to stand alone and look ridiculous. But what he's doing is so simple, it's almost instructional. This is key. You must be easy to follow. Now here comes the first follower with a crucial role. He publicly shows everyone else how to follow. Notice how the leader embraces him as an equal. So it's not about the leader anymore. It's about them, plural. Notice how he's calling to his friends to join in. See, it takes guts to be a first follower. You stand out and you brave ridicule yourself. Being a first follower is an underappreciated form of leadership. The first follower transforms a lone nut into a leader. If the leader is the flint, the first follower is the spark that really makes the fire. Now here's the second follower. This is a turning point. It's proof the first has done well. Now it's not a lone nut and it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd and a crowd is news. A movement must be public. Make sure outsiders see more than just the leader. Everyone needs to see the followers because new followers emulate followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people, then three more immediately. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point and now we have a movement. As more people jump in, it's no longer risky. 
If they were on the fence before, there's no reason not to join in now. They won't stand out, they won't be ridiculed, and they will be part of the in-crowd if they hurry. And over the next minute you'll see the rest who prefer to stay part of the crowd, because eventually they'd be ridiculed for not joining. And ladies and gentlemen, that is how a movement is made. So let's recap what we've learned. If you are a version of the shirtless dancing guy, all alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals, making everything clearly about the movement, not you. Be public, be easy to follow. But the biggest lesson here, did you catch it? Leadership is over-glorified. Yes, it started with the shirtless guy, and he'll get all the credit, but you saw what really happened. It was the first follower that transformed a lone nut into a leader. There's no movement without the first follower. See, we're told that we all need to be leaders, but that would be really ineffective. The best way to make a movement, if you really care, is to courageously follow and show others how to follow. When you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first person to stand up and join in. Courageously follow. That's what chapter, these chapters are about. Courageously following. Standing out there and being on the parapet, being involved in the risky business and taking the swings with the roundabouts. You know, uh, when uh, I first came here for some discussions with Alyssa and Kerry and co, um, some weeks ago now, um, I asked for to see some of the documents of the church, some of the things that uh, um, the church rests on in terms of its its vision and most importantly its mission. So, would anyone like to tell me what the one sentence is that uh, is the vision statement of the church? Go on, Merla. Thank you very much. To lead people to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. Thank you very much for that. Often I go to churches and I want to see that and you ask someone and they don't know. <laughs> see, you can't have a statement unless it's actually a lived statement in the church. Okay, why? Because we serve a living God. So then, well, there's been a fair amount uh, to digest. But what you see if you do read through those four chapters is themes that follow along this sermon and in next week. But what I would like to do next week is to look at how those disciples overcame, overcame the obstacles that were placed before them. And there's some very interesting speeches, one by a Pharisee, which we will look at, a fellow by the name of Gamaliel. Gamaliel. And it's very interesting what he has to say, which is inevitably something very prophetic and that, again, in an unexpected way leads to the growth of the early church. So stay tuned for that. But as I say, have a look at the scriptures, open them up. We all know 
chapters one and two. I mean, I do. that. I usually ended up at chapter two and that's all I need to read. I've got it, right? But when I read forward, there were so many aha moments when I was preparing for today's talk that I'm sure that will be the case with each and every one of you too. There are some absolute gems. And I would stress too, because you are in a time of change, that's the reason I'm here. Uh, not to, well, maybe it is to facilitate the change in part, but to be reminded that it's number one is not the important one. It's two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It's the people here who will make this movement move. And we all say together, Amen. Thank you. <laughs>